All right? Hey, uh, one thing, Pastor Rob did kind of mislead you. We're not going to have people come forward still because of uh, this COVID thing. So if you want to ask a question, stand up. Ask the questions. The guys up front have mics. They'll repeat it for the people who are watching online. And then we'll try to answer it. And if I don't have answers, I know Pastor Jack does. And we'll just call on him. So, all right. So who's going to be first? Okay. What was that verse? So, Second Chronicles 5.10 specifies that it was just the two tablets of stone. What happened to Aaron's rod and the jar of manna? What happened to him? Yes. Uh, By Second Chronicles, well, probably somebody took the rod out to beat somebody. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because when you look at the different different sections that talk about what was in the ark, it kind of gets a little sketchy at different times. So I do not have an answer. Sorry, I wish I did. Other than. Somebody needed a rod to beat somebody, and somebody got hungry and ate the manna. But that is a good... Here's my question, though. How did they stick that rod in the ark? That's always bugged me. Like, it was a rod, and the ark's only so big, did they break it in half? So, you guys can send your answers to the text, 520-210, and, uh, and let me know how they got that ark, how they got that rod in the ark. So I'm sure somebody has the answer. <laughs> yes. Um, yes, sir. Um, most of my life I've worked with uh, developmentally disabled adults. And uh, my son is also uh, on the autism spectrum. I just want to make sure that they go to heaven because I'm not sure if my son understands Good question. Go so ahead. how do you reconcile people who are mentally handicapped and their ability to respond to the gospel? Yeah, I liken that to uh, the fact that I know God is just and God is right and God is fair and I have to trust him. And I don't, I don't, I can't understand a God who would not be fair and right and just in those situations so that's my take on it. Biblically, I think we could go, you know, God, God also, uh, we have this thing called the age of accountability that we can talk about that as far as a person can understand, God will use that in their life and, and as, a, as a means of looking at them. So I think that's fair. And, you know, a person who's got some disabilities there, God is going to be fair with that. I know he is. So I would hope that would bring you comfort. 
just to know that God is fair and just and righteous. Yeah, yeah. All right, so we got a couple of texts coming in. Um, if you are still saved, or if you are saved, do you still have a sin nature? Why do we still sin? And does the sin nature get passed on if two Christians have a child? Oh, those are kind of, that's kind of interesting insight. We kind of covered that Sunday in looking at 1 John. So when we're saved, our sin nature does not go away. Can I get an amen? So, <laughs> I mean, most of us know that practically, right? Our sin nature doesn't go away. When we get saved, our, the uh, old man in, the, in uh, 2 Corinthians says the old man dies. The old man is not our sin nature. The old man is who we were outside of Christ. So I think we're, I think we're trichotomy. I think we're body, soul, spirit. And so... The old man is governed by the flesh, by the sin nature, and then there's the soul, and then there's the spirit. When we're born again, that old man dies, and now we're governed by the spirit, and then we still have our soul, but we still have that sin nature that's there, but kind of on the bottom of the rung, if that makes sense. And so, yeah, we still have the sin nature, and the sin nature still passed along when two Christians have a child. Amen? Amen. So, most parents know that. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I hope that kind of clarifies it because I think some people think when you're born again, your sin nature goes away, and it does not. But it's, again, we're made alive in the Spirit, and the Spirit in us then has more control than the Spirit had as an unsaved person. So I hope that helped, whoever sent that in. All right, going back to the age of accountability, uh, where is that addressed in the Bible? I have two young children and get concerned at times in regards to kids and the rapture. Oh, good question. So, I mean, I don't think that words, age of accountability, are necessarily in Scripture. But do you remember when the children of Israel went to go into promised land and the spies went, they came back, the people rebelled against God? What did God say? Now, this is kind of bad. The teenagers did not come in, right? Okay, because they, they do not need to hear this. So, <laughs> so remember when they came back, God said everyone who's 20 years and younger will go into the promised land. They were not accountable for the decision that was made. Everyone over 20 was going to be held accountable and was going to die in the wilderness. That's kind of an interesting, I mean, if we ever see a real age of accountability scripturally, that's it. Now, I would never tell a teenager it's 20 because they're going to get, you know, they'll go, woo, I can sin, tell them 20. So that's not what that means. But, uh, but I think, again, coming back to the fair, righteous God, he's going to judge a person on their ability to understand and what they understand and how they can understand it. I believe that. So uh, worried about children. If I was worried about my child, I would just continually give them scripture, give them the gospel, minister to them, and care for them, and then trust the Lord. And I think that's what we're call, called to do for our children. And having said that, I think it's important that we, as parents, do not rely on 
Calvary Chapel Sierra Vista children's ministry to make sure our kids get scripture. We want to come alongside parents and help parents, but we don't want to be the only place they're getting ministered to. It's up to us as parents to minister to our children. And we love coming alongside parents and helping them out. Okay, next. If Solomon was wise, why did he have 900 wives and concubines? <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> By the way, we were going to say we don't take some questions. That would be one. That would be one we don't want to take. <laughs> I don't know. Because Solomon wasn't the number one. Solomon wasn't perfect. He wasn't Jesus. He was <laughs> wise in every area except relationships with women. I do good. Thank you. Do you have anything, Facebook man? We've got one on Facebook here. Why does God allow young people to die? Wow. Uh, I'm trying to word this so that it's not like offensive or hurtful. Uh, number one, God is God, and we can't question his goodness and righteousness. Number one, I would say, why does he allow young people to die? I think there's some things you just don't have an answer for, and I don't know that I can answer that because, number one, I'm not God, and I have to trust him. I always come back when, when I have questions like that. I personally, for me personally, I always go back to what I know about God, not what I don't know. And when I can't understand something and why something happens, I take myself to what do I know about God and then that gives me faith to accept the situation that I'm in that I can't comprehend. So I hope that helped. What is meant... Wait, 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 wait. We have one back here. No, go ahead. So 2 Peter 3.8 says that with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So in terms of creation, uh, was the day 24 hours or was it a thousand year period? You know, that's a great question and it can be debated. So I'm going to give you my interpretation of the scripture. There's others who do not agree. There's others who take a different viewpoint in I'm what's called a young earther. I think the earth is young. I think the earth is literally uh, seven, 8,000 years old. I don't believe in the old earth. And so let me give you a couple explanations. Number one, 
I believe it was 24-hour periods because it says there was morning and there was evening and that was the first day. There was morning and there was evening and that was the second day. Now, if you go on through Scripture and especially through Genesis and Exodus, every time he says that, he's speaking about, when he writes that, he's speaking about a literal 24-hour period. So I, I use that for interpretation. In other words, I don't just take Genesis chapter 1, but I take every place in Scripture where it says morning and evening and there was a day, always speaking of a 24-hour period. So how did God do that? How could God do that? Because he's a great God, number one. And I think when he created everything, he created everything mature. And I believe most of us would understand when he created Adam... He didn't create an infant and wait for that infant to grow. He created a mature man, and the same with woman. So I think he could create a mature universe, a mature earth that looks like it's been around for millions or billions of years, whatever uh, measure of, of unit you want to use, and I believe he did that. And I, so that's my take on it, and I'm comfortable with that. Uh, I know some people say no each day, and they use this scripture because a day is like a thousand years. It's not what Peter's talking about. Peter's talking about those who are waiting for the Lord to come, and they're impatient like me. I'm an impatient person, and he's trying to let us know God's got his timetable, God has patience, and for him, waiting one day is like waiting a thousand years. So I hope that gives some clarity and you can fall in there, you know, that's something I'm not going to break fellowship or fight with people about. So that's my take on it. I hope that helped. What you got? What, what was that verse again? 1 Corinthians 4 and 5. So 1 Corinthians 4 and 5, he's talking about judging. Uh, can, you, can you explain a little bit more about context of who and in what manner? Yeah, I think in the context of that, Paul, I believe, is writing about, I think they were judging Paul as I'm reading this. Uh, I, is your question about should we judge people or not or just the whole clarity of judging period? Wow. Okay, well, s buckle up. So, uh, I mean, uh, the Bible tells us we're not to judge people under condemnation because it's not my job, right? I can't judge whether people are saved or not saved. That's God's job. But here, Paul, I think, was being judged unfairly for what he was doing, and so he's talking, uh, and again, he does say, uh, therefore, judge nothing before its time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. So I think he's talking about, you know, the only one who can be a fair judge and some of the matters is the Lord because he can bring light to it. And we have to be careful. So 
if I see somebody doing something, if I instantly judge them, that's on me. That's a bad thing on me. I need to watch. I need to gather the information. And in other places in Scripture, we're told make a right judgment, a good judgment, a correct judgment based on all of the facts. Does that kind of help what he's talking about? And then ultimately, though, ultimately, we got to leave things in the Lord's hand because he can do a better job at judging people than we can. And he will bring, what's kind of scary about, to me about that scripture is he's going to bring everything to light. So as we were talking about Sunday, let's get it all in the light now so we don't have to be faced with it in the light later. So I hope that helps. Good. Come on, you guys. Are all you guys texting? That's what you're doing, huh? You're not like wanting to ask it. Oh, here we go. All right. So, uh, where do other people come from outside of Cain and Abel and the biblical account there in Genesis? That's a good question. So, in, in the account in Genesis, we're, we're, sometimes we skip a lot of time. So, Adam and Eve, every person alive came from Adam and Eve. So, Cain finding these other people, maybe brothers and sisters moved away, they're still somehow related. So, in the beginning... People married brothers and sisters. They intermarried. And we have to remember, though, the, quote, gene pool was much purer, much stronger, able to sustain that. As time went on, then God made a judgment on that and said not to do it. But in the beginning, yeah, they were marrying brothers and sisters and cousins and et cetera. Does that help? But I agree. Yeah, she, they were busy, but but <laughs> that that's a great way of putting it. So, <laughs> I like that. So uh, yeah, we'll just leave it at that. So they were really busy, <laughs> and and their children were really busy, and their children's children were. Really, <laughs> that was great. That was classic. I'll remember that. What on, people? What is meant by the pride of life from 1 John 2:16? Is that the pride? Is it that one? Yeah. Uh, the pride of life would be, I think, just pride, being a prideful person, and you know that uh, that's the thing that's going to bring you down, right? Uh, for that is for all that is in the world, the pride of life. So I think it's just a prideful person being proud about themselves and proud about what they've accomplished and proud about what they can do and not relying on the Lord and allowing the Lord to move in them. So, I mean, that's the way I would come across with that. Hope that helps. Are these people not signing their names? They are. 
Oh, they are. You're just not giving them. Correct. Oh. Well, I'll give you the next person's name. Suicide, Christian or non-Christian. What happens? So, okay, yeah, we get that question almost every time. Good question. So suicide, uh, if you're a believer, I believe you go to heaven. I know it's a sin, and I know it's a sin to take a life. But having said that, I know when I die, I'm going to die with sin on me. There's only one sin that's not forgiven, and it's not murder. It's the unpardonable sin of rejecting Jesus Christ. So a believer can commit suicide and still go to heaven, I think. Now, when people generally ask me that, my first question to them is, why are you asking that? I don't believe you're in danger right now, but usually I, t- yeah, usually, usually, yeah, but I, I want to talk to people, make sure they're not contemplating suicide and never comfort somebody in that because suicide is also going to devastate every person you know and every person you've come in contact. So it's a very selfish act, although the person doing it doesn't feel that way. I understand they feel like the world would be better without them. But having said that, then an unbeliever will be treated like any unbeliever that dies in their sin. So does that help? Sort of. A lot of people believe that, but my, again, I just go back to the fact that yes, it's sin, I'm not saying it's not sin, but we all die with sin that we've committed that we've not confessed. And again, the only unpardonable sin is blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So, okay. Good, good. Uh, okay. In the back. So, okay. so yeah. 12 tribes versus 13, and in, you said Numbers 10, 11? Numbers 10, 23, God tells the tribe of Manasseh to leave. 10, 23, God tells the tribe of Manasseh to leave. Uh, what happened to him? And how many tribes truly are there? I think there's 14, which is kind of weird. So... You have to remember, Joseph, Joseph was one, then Joseph became two, and then Levi's never counted as a tribe because Levi were priests. So if you go through and you look at all of the list of the tribes, it comes out different in different books. And then so people try and figure out, well, one of them has to be dissed someplace along the way. But every time you read it, it's a different one. 
And even when you get into Revelation, it's one. And when you get into Ezekiel at the end of it, that list doesn't match Revelation. So I don't know what's going on there. Uh, I wished I had a, a good answer, but I have a non-answer answer that I'm not sure what's happening. Does that help? <laughs> it, keep digging. I'm, I'm not sure there's an answer because remember you have, you have the 12 sons, but out of the 12 sons, then you have two more that are added, Ephraim and Manasseh. So you have 14 altogether. And sometimes they're called the tribe of Joseph. Sometimes they're called Manasseh and Ephraim. And then when, they, when Manasseh and Ephraim enter it, Levi's left out. And then Levi comes back in. Then Dan is left out. And then Dan comes back in. And so I hope that... I hope. I hope that kind of gives you some non-clarity to your answer. Just keep digging. Yes. So after the thousand-year millennial reign, there's reference in the scripture to dimensions that describe a cube. What is that? A cube is a square, yeah. and a square. <laughs> I don't know. That's heaven. I don't know why he does a cube. It's a, it seems like it's New Jerusalem and it's a cube and I, can, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a very good question. I read it and study it and think about it and number one, I think a cube's weird to be a cube but I have to trust God. But it's pretty big. The one thing I know if you do all of it and do the math and calculations, it's really big. So, we can all fit. That's the good news. But I, I, I'm sorry, Brenda, I don't know. Man, you guys are asking hard questions. Okay. So, after the thousand-year millennial reign... There's a cube, we know. No, <laughs> um, well, so let me back up even. When we're raptured and, and the tribulation is over and there's the battle of Armageddon, and we come riding in, in a, on our white horses with Jesus, right? Um, what do we do after that? What do Christians do? What are the people that are raptured? What are we doing after that? When we come back to rule and reign for a thousand years, yeah. what do we do? I don't know what you're going to do. I'm going to hang out in Bisbee for a while because <laughs> I want to rule over Bisbee. And then, I mean, we're going <laughs> to... We're going to be busy. We're going to be busy ruling and reigning, but you have to remember we're in our glorified bodies so we can't sin. So we're not going to be, we're not going to be you know, beating up on people or mugging people or whatever. And we're going to be able to see the planet as it was created, which is kind of cool. And, and we can, I think, travel like Jesus walked through buildings and stuff. We're not going to be limited in that sense. But I believe we're going to help him rule and reign. Does that clarify things a little bit? Exactly. I mean, that's all it says. So we're going to come back and rule and reign with him. So I really should have brought my test questions from school ministry. Yeah, you should have. <laughs> okay. Did you finish the test yet? No. Or are we finishing it for you? <laughs> Is that what we're doing right now? Are we doing your school of ministry test? 
Yes, yes, we can't die because we're glorified, but the people who come in as unglorified humans will live and die. They'll live a long time, but yes, there will be death because there will be sin. And where the... What happens to them? They die. And then what happens to them? They then will face judgment. Okay. 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 So going, going along with that, somebody asked, in the millennium, Satan is chained. We still have, or people in the millennium have a sin nature, but there is no tempter. Will people still sin in the millennium? Yes. I mean, that's a good question. So, you know, I think one of the good things, kind of not good, good, but something to look at. During the millennium, there will be a perfect ruler, Jesus Everybody who goes into the millennium as a human, as not, not us glorified, but all the people who go in in their regular bodies, all will be saved, have a relationship with Jesus. Then they will have children, and their children will be in that perfect environment, but they will still sin. So that tells us the issue is not our environment, not those who, our issue is our heart. And you still have that heart. And you don't even have Satan to influence you to sin. You'll sin without the influence of Satan. And you'll still sin. So that tells us we're back to that same issue. The issue with people is a heart. And that's why we need to share the gospel with people so they can be born again. So they can begin to get victory over that area. All right, continuing this uh, revelation thought, what are your thoughts and do you believe in dispensations? What are my thoughts and do I believe in dispensations? Correct. Yes and yes. So yeah, I do believe, I do believe in dispensations. So uh, some of you have no idea what any of that means. So in theology, as you look at things, there's some different schools of theology. Some theology is what's called covenantal theology, which means that they believe that God works in different eras through different covenants and works with people through covenants, and that's how he functions. And so they have the new covenant, and then some of them have some in between there, and then they have the, I'm sorry, the old covenant, then the new covenant. And so... In that theology, when you come to the new covenant in a church, the church replaces Israel and takes a place because now God has made a covenant with the church and the church is part of that. The problem with that is if the covenant's with the church, it wouldn't be a new covenant because he never made an old covenant with the church. The old covenant was with Israel. The original covenant was with Israel. The only way it can be new is because he's changing it for Israel. He tells Israel through Ezekiel, through Jeremiah, I will give you a new heart. In Jeremiah, he says, I will make you new and I will make a new covenant with you. So that's, so they kind of mess things up and do away with Israel. Dispensationalists believe that God works through different people, groups or different people in different dispensations. So there's the dispensation, and, and some get crazy, and you can divide it up to like 30 or something, but I, I think I'm going to keep it simple. Let's just do two. There's the old dispensation where God was working through Israel, 
and working through them to reveal himself to the world. I believe most of us, if you've come here any length of time, you know that Israel's purpose was to show the world God and to show the world what a relationship with God would be like. They failed in doing that. The new, or another dispensation is God is working through the church. Our job is what? To show the world God, right? To reveal God to the world that the world would understand and be able to see God. That's why we're here. That's why we have that. And so uh, as a dispensationalist then, I believe towards the end when Jesus is getting ready to come back, he's going to go back and once again work with the nation of Israel. That's why I believe the church will be raptured before the tribulation and then he will once again work through Israel. My Bible says that he took uh, uh, 12,000 from each tribe and we're not the tribes of Israel, right? And he lists the tribes except Manasseh and he lists the tribes <laughs> and, and, and gives them out and talks about which ones he's gonna work through and then there's 144,000 witnesses. And the whole purpose of the tribulation is twofold. Number one, to judge this world for all of the sin that's been committed. God is going to bring judgment. And that should kind of give us some peace when we wonder why God doesn't do something. Secondly, it's to bring Israel back to himself. And so once again, he's working through Israel. So that's dispensationalism in a nutshell, just looking at three different dispensations or really two, but one revived. So uh, yes, I'm dispensational and because I'm not covenantal. I hope that helped. Did the original scripture have scribal errors? I wasn't there, so I don't know. <laughs> Actually, I mean, technically, we don't have any of the original manuscripts, so I don't think so. No one would know. No one's going to know, so... No, we have no original manuscripts. If we did, we would worship them. No, we don't have their old manuscripts. They're manuscripts from, I think they're like just before, I, I would say, you know, I don't think like probably, do, do we count down? Uh, they're before the first century. I'd say they're probably in the 300 BC era, if I remember correctly. So they're not original. We don't have any original manuscripts. Because if we did, that would settle the argument. But, you know, along that question, though, I do believe that, wait, I need to reiterate that. I do believe the original manuscripts were without error. I just don't have any to prove it. Not even your Bible? What? Senior Lane. Here's, here's one from uh, Facebook. What scripture would help me understand God's view on acts carried out in severe mental illness? How will they be saved if they are so disturbed and unreachable? Will they be in heaven? Kind of springboarding off a, a different question that was off asked. The question. I don't know. That's, that's a hard question. I think we're back to there's things I know about God. 
<laughs> so I'm going to go back to God is fair, righteous, and just, and he will take care of that. So I think I know what they're asking, and I'm not sure there's an answer for that. And I think we have to be careful that we don't excuse someone's horrendous act because of a mental illness. I th- we just have to, so I can't answer that. Yes? What about the, uh, the book of um, Isaiah that was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls? Uh, as far as original, that's what he was asking. That was not an original manuscript. That was a very early manuscript. But if we, we don't have the scroll that Isaiah wrote. Does that make sense? So, if we did, like I'm saying, if we did, that would settle it. But they're very old ones, which shows, so you have one, and again, I don't remember off the top of my head. I've been there, looked at them, I don't remember exactly the date, but from that date, thousands of years ago, to what we have today, there's, there's like they're almost perfectly in line. So... Continuing along the thought of error in Scripture, why do the genealogies of Genesis in certain texts differ from those in, say, the Septuagint? I don't know that they do in the Septuagint. I know they do from Luke and Matthew, but I don't know if they do in the Septuagint. They say the Meser, uh, yep, texts differ <laughs> from those in the Septuagint. They're reading footnotes. I think, I don't know. So I, I don't know, because I'm not a, I'm not a critical uh, thinker on the Bible. I haven't done higher, critics, higher criticism on the Bible. I haven't studied those manuscripts, so that I don't know. I don't have an answer. They have to go to some brainiac Greek scholar and ask them that question. I have some old dead guys they can ask. Does Revelation 22, 18, and 19 teach that Christians can lose their salvation? Does what? Revelation 22, 18, and 19. I would say no off the top of my head because I don't think you can lose your salvation. No. That, those, that's not, that's not t- t- that's, uh, Revelation 22, 18 and 19, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to the things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. If anyone takes away the words of this book of prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life and from the whole holy city and from the things that are written in this book. So number one, he's talking about the book of Revelation, not the entire Bible. It always bothers me when people use this Well, you can't do anything with the Bible because of what it says here. This is not talking about the entire Bible because John was writing this. He was writing one part. He was writing the book of Revelation. So he's talking about somebody misaligning and messing up Revelation, bottom line. And as he does that, I don't think a believer is going to intentionally do that. He's talking about somebody intentionally doing something. I don't think a believer would do that, so I don't think that has a lot to do with a believer losing his salvation or her salvation. So I hope that helps. But you know what? Don't, don't use that scripture, that verse, to say you can't 
add to the Bible or take away from the Bible because it's not what that verse is saying. That verse is talking about the book of Revelation. So, now, do I believe you can't add to the Bible? Yes. But don't use, don't misuse scripture to make your point. Please. With that being said, uh, thoughts on the Apocrypha. Why is it not taught? Is it false teachings? Do what? The Apocrypha. Why is it not taught? Correct. Is it, is it supposed to be in the Bible? Is it no. not supposed to be in the Bible? No. Every book that's supposed to be in the Bible is in the Bible. And books that are not in the Bible are not supposed to be in the Bible. And, you know, God, you know, here's the thing. The church recognized at a time period what God had called Scripture. The church did not make Scripture. They recognized what God had done. I liken it to this. In the ministry here, sometimes we recognize someone as a pastor. We don't make them a pastor. God makes them a pastor. We recognize what God has done. Well, the same with Scripture. God put the Scripture together. He didn't leave any out. All of the books of the Apocrypha that are included like in the Catholic Bible, if you read through those books, the problem with them is they do contain blatant errors uh, as far as history, and they contradict one another, and they contradict other parts of Scripture. No other, none of the books in Scripture do that, so I hope that helps. So no, none of those belong, and especially the goofball ones that are coming up now on the Internet. Oh, okay. Uh, when what? Rahab, when she, when oh, Rahab. Okay, when she, when she did the, okay. So Rahab. And the scarlet cord. And, and their family being in the house. Okay, so number one, that was not saved unto salvation going to heaven. That was being saved from the attack and being, uh, because Israel was to come in and kill all of the people. So they told her, since she helped them, if she tied that scarlet cord and anybody who was in her house, that they would not destroy them, showing her honor for taking care of them. Okay, but... Huh? No, no, correct, it was not. But I think she was saved just because of what she declared about God with what little bit of knowledge she had of God. Okay? Come on, people. In the back again. So, concerning the gifts of the Spirit, is that something that uh, we should look at as something that's persistent, or does it just come when God decides to use you for some whatever He wants to use? Gifts of the Spirit, is that something that are consistent in the life of a believer or do they come and go as God chooses to use okay. them? Yeah, good question. So it depends on what we're talking about. If we look at uh, in Ephesians, in Ephesians, in Corinthians, when it talks about the gifts, here's what it says, when the Spirit manifests these gifts. So that means the Spirit's gonna manifest himself in my life in different ways at different times. He is manifesting himself in my life. 
I don't think that's a gift I possess all the time. I think it's as he chooses to use me and manifest himself in those gifts. And Romans, it talks about the gifts that we have as we function within the body of Christ, and I believe those are gifts that we possess and we have. I call those, I use the term motivational gifts just for a term, but uh, I believe those are the ones that he describes us and how we function within the body of Christ. Does that, does that help? Good. You good? We good? So it's eight o'clock, so I guess we have to quit. Thank you guys.